Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is The Feeders Club, episode 110 for June 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fides Club. This is a show where we cover the news from the past month with a, well, it's not really the news from the past month. We go over the world, really, and try to get you opinions and views on the news that have been big in each local country we're going to be talking about. And uh, the idea is that you're going to get different uh backgrounds and opinions on all of those things. Hopefully, it brings you uh, different perspectives. My name is Patrick Beja. I am, I guess, now half from France and half from Finland. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Finland since we had a baby a few uh, months ago. And uh, I am joined by three wonderful people. Uh, Tom Merritt from the United States of America. How's it going, Tom? I'm doing well. Uh, I uh, do you want to call it Franland or or, or Fince? <laughs> Fince sounds hip, but at the same time weird. <laughs> so I don't know if it would work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're joining us uh, from the U.S. and I hear uh, there's quite a kerfuffle happening in the U.S. and something that's making the news um, and quite a bit of, of outrage, um, which. It's about this, a, a you're lane that's been, every week of the past year and a half. I was going to yes, go with yes. the fantastic joke of the uh, lane that's been closed in the road near your where you live. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Uh, the Great Streets program of Mayor Garcetti here in Los Angeles has caused quite a stir, uh, shutting down in, in my neighborhood one lane on Venice Boulevard. There's terrible cut, stop cut through traffic signs in people's yards. There is outrage. You're absolutely right. I, I really think, you know, the, the, the people in charge should do something about that. Um, we also have two, well, you probably know Tom, I'm guessing, if you've listened to the show before, uh, but we have two newcomers. We have William, who is originally from I Ireland and currently in Germany, and we have Shah Shahiran, I'm trying to pronounce it with like a cool accent, uh, who's it's from Brunei. <laughs> is it good, Shahiran? <laughs> Yes, that's good. That's good. My full name is Shahiran Sharifuddin bin Sharani Muhammad, but Shah is good. Okay, okay. Wait, say it again. I'm going to try to, to go for it. Shahiran Sharifuddin bin Sharani Muhammad. Okay, I have to get your... Uh, you, you sent it to me. I'm going to try to read it. <laughs> I, because I take pride in being able to pronounce uh, people's names even when they're a bit different. Uh, so, Shahiran Sharifuddin bin, Shahir, bin Sharani Damn it, Bin Shahrani so close. Muhammad. He was almost there. Almost there. Almost there. Bin Shahrani. Imagine having to write that down on like three multiple forms, right? You know, my hand gets really tight. 
<laughs> so this is your official name. You actually have to write all of this when you want to yes. do any any official business. Handy. Yes. <laughs> uh, so as we mentioned, you're from uh, Brunei, and uh, we'll give you a couple of minutes to tell us about you in, in just a moment. But also, as I did mention, we have William, William Campbell, from mm -hmm. uh, from Germany slash Ireland. Uh, you're currently in Germany, and you are the host of the Challenging Opinions podcast, which it, you describe as constructive, which is much better than the way we tried to describe it earlier before we started the show. Um, it can be it can be confrontational sometimes, but I do try to be constructive, and I think. It's important to talk to people who you disagree with. There's there's too many people stuck in their own silo. Brother, this is exactly what we've been trying to do on this show. <laughs> Hopefully we succeed. Uh, but yeah, so thanks for being on, everyone. Um, so as I said, you probably know Tom already, so I'm just going to push him aside for a second and give a couple right. of minutes to William and Shahiran to tell us about themselves. Um, so can you tell us a few words about uh, who you are and where you're coming from so the audience knows a little bit about you? Uh, let's start with William. Oh, um, God, I have to. I, I feel like I'm the new kid in the class at school again. Um, <laughs> Please get I, up in front from, of, the, of the class. I'm, and uh... I, I'm from Dublin in Ireland. Um, I have worked at various jobs, mostly entrepreneurial types. But for the past couple of years, I've been mostly, I still have my house in Dublin, but I've been mostly living in Berlin in Germany because sometimes it's just, um, I don't know, good to get away. It's an exciting place to live. Um, and I probably have too much of an interest in politics and current affairs, and that comes out <laughs> in the podcast. I try to talk to a different person every week. I generally keep that up. And I probably go to try to talk more to the people I disagree with, and that can be either alt-right bloggers or um maybe conservative radio talk show hosts not always uh, on the right i would talk to other people as well and try to not get into the situation where you have everybody agreeing with each other so you respectfully politely but push back against people's opinions and ask them the hard questions yeah i think listeners of this show uh, hopefully if i do my job well will be familiar with the the concept um yes. so thanks for yeah <laughs> okay tom tom agrees Thank you. I have Tom's seal of approval. Um, and uh, so thank you for joining us. And Shahiran, what about you? Can you tell us a few words about yourself? Hello? Um, oh. oh. I had, oh, hello? Yes, yes. You're, um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you had, know, it's very far prepared. away, so. <laughs> yeah, I had something prepared, but I forgot. Okay. I was say. <laughs> I'll start with like, uh, oh, um, um, I'm... I work in the government in Brunei. I used to work for the government in Brunei. Um, I work as a health promotion officer, and then we used to do like um, health programs, national health programs for the whole country. Um, <laughs> and that's that, about it, I suppose. Um, yeah. I, I, how old are yeah, you again? Oh, I'm 38. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you, you spent a few years in, uh, in the West as well. Just for people who don't know uh, what Brunei yes. is, uh, it's basically a small uh, nation in, uh, uh, in um, the southeastern Asia. And it's a relatively small country, right? It's like 500,000 uh, inhabitants, the population. 
we used to own the whole Borneo, and that's why we Borneo actually got stained from Brunei, the earlier European explorers. The whole island of Brunei was at uh, the whole island of Borneo was just Brunei at the time, but of course the British happened, and that's how we <laughs> ended up. <laughs> no, yeah, people from Ireland would agree. <laughs> <laughs> they know, they know the feeling. All right, cool. Well, thank you, everyone, uh, and uh, that's it. We were done. Thank you for joining. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Tom. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, what the hell is happening in your country? Um, <laughs> just that simple question. Yes, it's just, it's just it, it should take you about a couple of minutes to explain, and it's really uh, to everyone explain. will be happy. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, I think we have to talk about the 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 illegal immigrant issue, and specifically about the uh, children separation. I don't know that anyone needs explaining about the issue, but maybe they do. Um, so, can you? Take us through that whole scandal that has been going on for the past few weeks. Sure, and 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 remember, I I don't claim to be an expert uh, in these matters, uh, but it it has been well covered. And one of the things that's trickiest about covering anything in the United States or discussing anything in the United States right now is there's a rather mundane and normal reality underpinning a ridiculous. Uh, and overblown rhetoric, which sometimes makes it hard to tell, well, how much worse is it than it has been before? And the reason I say that is separating children from families in, in immigration-related detention uh, is not new. It was It was done under the Bush administration. It was done under the Obama administration. And immigration lawyers in the United States were fighting the Obama administration under sort of, uh, you know, obscurity. It was not a covered issue because it was done at a much smaller scale and in much fewer instances. There was a great thread on Twitter from an immigration lawyer talking about a an interaction with President Obama in a receiving line once about this. And so Republicans, or not even Republicans, but partisans of President Trump have been using that to say, well, Obama did it too. The difference is The Trump administration has in increased that or did increase that to apply to every immigration situation, uh, which led to a logistical nightmare uh, it, uh, along with a human rights nightmare where massive amounts of children were being separated uh, as they came across the border. The argument being a zero tolerance policy would discourage people from trying to get into the country with their families. And, and, and in some ways they were saying, and this is better for children because they shouldn't be brought into these situations. Uh, however, almost everyone disagreed that that was <laughs> an end that justified these means. And as of yesterday morning, President Trump signed an executive order ending that policy. Uh, but it was all done as far as we can tell, as a way to try to force through immigration reform in Congress, because the president kept saying, well, if you'd change the law, then we wouldn't have to do this. And, okay, there's so much to unpack in there. Um, I think the, the, the way we... So you're, you're always... I love you, Tom, because you always try to explain things in a dispassionate way, which... It feels to me, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think in this case, th there's always passions run very high in the US and the par partisanship always makes every issue 
into something more than it is. But it seems to me that in this case, uh, as you incredibly uh, uh, <laughs> calmly put it, almost everyone disagreed with the policy. Yeah. <laughs> that is code for it was a terrible policy. Um, oh, it was and, an unnecessary, in my opinion, it was an unnecessary policy. Well, uh, beyond it, it that. Was, it, and it seems to, the motivation seems to have been as a political bargaining move rather than any kind of real attempt to solve an immigration related problem. And I think and Tom, every- Tom, Tom, William here, can I just ask, because there was the case of one of the children, a 10 year old girl with Down syndrome, are you actually saying that? she being separated from her parents and obviously not having the capability to understand why was essentially being used as a bargaining chip by the Trump administration against the Democrats. Yeah. I mean, I, I, when you put it that way, it makes it sound even worse, which, you know, that's, that's fine. They didn't consider whether anyone individual had down syndrome or not. Uh, they put in a policy saying, we know this will cause an uproar, uh, whether you know for for any for all kinds of reasons and that will help force people to the negotiating table because everyone will want this to end and in the end the president blinked and he signed the executive order so it doesn't seem like it worked well, well you say thing- you say that this didn't do tom sorry to Oh, go ahead, go ahead. But I really just want to nail Mm -hmm. Tom down on this, uh, metaphorically speaking. There were, uh, you know, I don't really believe that President Trump thinks so far ahead to the end of his sentence very often. It (laughs) seems a little bit of a stretch to think that he had gamed out this entire thing in advance. And if he had, he did that incredibly badly. It really does seem, and I will search for the article while I let you answer, it really does seem that this was a policy that was pushed by one of his staffers who essentially wanted to create a, this crisis permanently as a deterrent, a deterrent. against, yeah. uh, as, as a deterrent, mm-hmm. and essentially yeah. using children not only against the Democrats, but also using them against uh, their own parents, for example. Oh, certainly. Yeah. No. And I mentioned that they, the, this was also seen as a way to deter immigrants from coming in because, hey, look what will happen to your children. Uh, as with anything, you know, there isn't a answer to why something happens. Uh, there's probably a staffer that says, hey, this let's let's push this deterrent factor. And somebody says, yeah, that'll cause an uproar. And someone says, but that's OK, because that'll help us push the bargaining table. So, but yes, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you're you're describing it very matter of factly, which I I appreciate. of the fact, I think here we're kind of doing this situation as a service by by describing it so, uh, uh, you know, neutrally, because the act of deciding to push this, because the big difference is that it became a zero tolerance policy. I think everyone understands that sometimes you do need to separate the children from their parents for various reasons, sometimes legal. But also... Under the Obama administration, they were doing it in in camps there. It wasn't just sometimes it was this particular type of immigrant is we're going to do that, too. And there was, I think, a camp in Missouri uh, that where children were 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 separated. But it was small. Right. Uh, Right. This 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 expanded it drastically period. And and. Well, it's it's lasted for it's been happening for a long time. I mean, even in Europe, we have cases. No, no, but how, how long would children be separated from their parents? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. 
it, it was it was the same as as it was described by the immigration lawyer I was reading. It was it was equivalent to what's being done now, just mm. at a much smaller scale. And and to your point about neutrality, uh, Patrick, I do get myself into the position of realizing that everyone else is yelling, <laughs> and so I feel like. Well, there's plenty of outrage. I, I don't see any shortage of that. So to try to wrap my head around it, I I try to approach it the way I'm approaching it. But but yes, uh, it, it was unconscionable to to do this at this scale. I think it's unconscionable to do it at all. I don't think President Obama was right to do it. I don't think President Bush was right to do it. I absolutely do not think that President Trump was right to do it. I, yeah, I think there there are ways, as you just did, to say that whether or not you agree without descending into the screaming match, which, again, you know, I, I very often try to not scream too much uh, on Twitter, but to be firm, but not to scream. In this case, it felt like there was and and the the zero tolerance policy does change things when when it gets to yes. this scale and then it it is not the same thing and the idea that you would weaponize uh separating children from their parents in order to deter um few, you know further immigration is 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 objectionable in itself um and there's debate about whether it's even effective Right. And, and you know, there was this, this statement by the White House saying, well, we don't do it to everyone. But then they were saying that immigrants are, are criminals, which they're not. It's a misdemeanor to cross the border, as I'm sure everyone has heard by now. Um, and they're criminals. So basically, they give up their right to not have this done to them. So they were contradicting themselves in the same sentence almost. And then they were saying, but if you have documentation proving that you're uh, related to the person you're traveling with, then you don't get separated. Then that means that as a deterrent, which is admittedly what they were doing, you just need the people to have a passport and then it's fine. So it's the deterrent isn't to not come. It's just to come without uh, with your passport or with whatever documentation is needed. And it, it didn't hold up. And I think what is the most interesting in this whole debacle, now that uh, President Trump has signed the executive order, um, is not really whether or not it was objectionable. I think most people, even on the right, I think most people would agree were very uncomfortable with this policy. So, yeah, John, necessarily... John McCain, Laura Bush, uh, Melania Trump, all opposed the right. policy. And, and I think even people in in like the public, the regular people, I'm sure very mm -hmm. few of them, only the diehards were uh, uh, thought, yeah, let's use this. And because it's it's cruelty, it's, it's seriously cruel to do it as a deterrent. But I think the most interesting thing is to go back and, and listen or even list the people who were defending the policy and defending the administration deciding this policy without fail, which you can point to Fox News, but even people on Fox News were, were kind of uh, uh, ambivalent about this, some of them. But I think it's a sign that if some people were defending this policy strongly as some were, it's really a sign that they either honestly believe that this cruelty was necessary or that they are, you know... I don't want to say they just don't have beliefs in anything. They're just defending the president and his administration for the sake of he could do anything and it would be defended by them is what yeah. I mean. And, and 
And that's always true of of the you know the base for any candidate. Well, I think uh, whatever this is they a different, do will be defended. This well, is well, different, Tom, well, because me, this is on, clearly. Hold on. I'm getting to the different. Right, right. <laughs> you didn't let me get to that, but. <laughs> uh, but there are issues like this that will whittle that base down. And in fact, I, I think what people don't realize is you you will have folks out there who were defending this because they're like, you know what, this is this is my president. And so I'm going to defend him in the back of their mind, doubting it. And when he signed that executive order, probably it probably weakened his position with those people, because mm. we we tend to make the rhetorical mistake of identifying what people say with what they believe, and that doesn't always match up. And what causes surprise election results is people continuing out of inertia to say what they've been saying, but change their beliefs and not say that out loud. Very few political issues have that effect. This is the kind that can, I think. Right. Uh, where some people who even still were out there saying, oh, but come on, this is, you know, we have an immigration problem and you got to get tough. Probably, I'm going to guess it weakened some of their belief because you see these images and you see what's happening and you say, you know, in the back of your mind, well, I don't want to say this out loud because I'm loyal, but really? Is this is this good? Mm. I'm not sure yeah. how much of an effect that has, but I think it does have an effect. Uh, probably to an extent. And I think the, the issue, the immigration issue is very real um, for many, many countries, but it kind of dips into this does something we've been talking about on this show how far do you go like it does everything justify does the end justify the means in every case and yes you do have an immigration problem i was joke well not joking but uh commenting on twitter that if something you know if the idea is to deter uh immigration then why stop at separating children which is clearly cruel and i think everyone would agree just separating them in with the intent of doing that, just you know, shooting them would be more deterring. Or <laughs> obviously, I'm joking. Yeah, I mean, right. obviously, I'm joking. But this is when you reach a level that can be described by most people as cruel. I don't think it's you know this uh, as ridiculous no. as it would be otherwise. Sorry, Shaw, you, you're you. I think you've been trying to intervene, but your internet is not cooperating. But I'm curious to hear. What you guys thought about this, if you heard about it at all. Hello? Yes, we're hearing you. Shaw, can you hear us? I guess you can't hear us, damn it. Patrick, Patrick if I might come in there. Uh, this is William. Um, the uh, I found the article that I was uh, referring to earlier. Mm. Uh, Stephen Miller is the man's name. He is a speechwriter for Trump. He is not somebody who gets his name in the paper as often as other members of Trump's team. That's possibly deliberate. Um, but the uh, Atlantic, which is where I'm reading from this from, is getting uh, this, uh, quoting the New York Times, and it said that Miller had a uh, key play, a key part to play in the behind-the-scenes role in advancing the new border policy. And this is the quote, no nation can have the policy that whole classes of people are immune from immigration law or enforcement, he said during an interview in his West Wing office uh, this past week. 
it was a simple decision by the administration to have zero tolerance policy for illegal entry, period. The message is that no one is exempt from immigration law. Privately, Mr. Miller argued that bringing back zero tolerance would be a potent tool in a severely limited arsenal of strategies for stopping migrants from flooding across the border. And in April, after the border numbers reached their zenith, Mr. Miller was instrumental in Mr. Trump's decision to ratchet up the zero tolerance policy. That's pretty clear that that was not an Obama policy that was continuing. This was a new policy. And it's also very clear, and the BBC are reporting, and just their headline, paediatric and child trauma experts are sounding the alarm that separating migrant children from their parents at the US border can cause serious physical and psychological damage. Yeah. Um, I think- that's, that's very little short of bribing parents with the threat of child abuse against their children. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is this is a, a good description of why um of why basically absolute absolutism is mm-hmm. never a good idea when you go zero tolerance or everything is white or black, then you get into situations well, this one especially where Anyway, Shah, are you are you back? Can you can you hear us? Damn it! It seems he's having internet issues. I, uh, that's too bad. Yeah, um, I would like to hear what he has to say yeah, as well. Yeah, me too. And, and and to add to what William said, uh, R. Andrew Free, uh, who's also I M M Civil Rights on Twitter, is the one who was explaining the policy that the Obama administration had on family detention. Uh, and I think it was in Kansas City, he says, uh, where they they had the uh, the the separation happening. But it was a different policy. It was it was a it was an immigration related policy, but it was a different policy. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I do think that in this case. Oh, hello? oh you're back. Yay. Hello. It's a rainy season. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. What did I miss? <laughs> uh, we were <laughs> we were discussing this uh, this child separation policy, and we kind of came to a conclusion. But I'm curious to hear what happened. You know, if it was discussed in in Brunei and how it was discussed, uh, if it was. Well, um, I think we talked about. Maybe we'll come to it later. I forgot to say that, uh, my present situation that we were going to talk about. But um, I've been pretty isolated the past year or so, so I haven't been talking to many people, but to those few that I have talked to about this issue, um, you see, the America used to be this castle on the hill for Bruneians, you know, mm. and it's weird, it's weird to see what it, that reputation has degraded throughout the years, especially after 9-11 and the Iraq invasion, but this was something we didn't, we couldn't see America doing. It, it was a, I, a lot of people saw, well, not the very few people I talked to said it was a little bit too far, uh, a line too far. And they were saying, um, well, and I was thinking, um, if America do it, what's going to stop other more... Um, less other reputable? Regimes, <laughs> less yeah. reputable regimes from mm. uh, doing the same? Because we have the Rohingya crisis here. Mm. Closer to home, that uh, in Bangladesh, and then what's going to stop them, Burma, from well, not Burma now, it's called Myanmar, Myanmar, from separating children from families to to act as a deterrent? They're not going to look at 
whether it works or not. They're just yeah. going to see, well, the Americans did it. Why can't we? I, I think this is a very good point that I should have made earlier myself. The The way it affects America's image, you know, I also tweeted uh, earlier in the week that for all its good and bad, America was our leader. You know, yeah, there was shady things happening in the US and, you know, the CIA was doing things outside of the country. And it's not like the, the country was perfect, but it was our, and still is, our leader in the West. Whether we like it or not, that's the way it was and, and to an extent is. But this kind of shit affects that. We don't, you know, you don't want to, you're not just not, you know, you're not just not looking up to the country. You're actually kind of a little bit disgusted. You look away. And I think this is a continuing trend, which has taken a, a very steep downslope with this latest issue, um, which honestly... I think every American should be concerned about. Um, it, it, and it's not just about, oh, we don't want to pay for everyone's defense. You know, that's not just, that's just not what it's about. It's about who you are as a country. You know, America is portraying itself as, you know, we love superhero movies. I'm going to speak for myself. I love superhero movies. In superhero <laughs> movies, this is the ideal you're, you're, trying to emulate you know it's like the the gods and the champions and the stories we tell each other you try to save the people right you, you have you stand for something and when you witness things like this it it damages your image and it's not about oh but this is fantasy this is the real world it, it goes you know fantasy has its claws into the real world as well or its roots or it's whatever you want to call it um, so this does affect that. And looking at it from the outside, we're like, we're, I think we're all shaking our heads thinking, what has happened to you? It's, it's almost... Can, can I add to that, Patrick? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, I, um, it is possibly some, you know, defenders of the current regime in the United States might say, hang on a second, you're holding us to a higher standard. And that's true. We are. But the real response to that is, you know, what standard do you want to be held to? Do you want to be compared to murderous, undemocratic regimes? Is that the standard that you're setting for yourself? Mm. And the, I, think, uh, the, yeah. I, I will tell you what the, the defenders of the Trump administration usually say on these kinds of, of, of things, and I don't pretend to speak for them, but uh, what they usually say is, we don't care. We don't care what the rest of the world thinks about us. We're America first. Uh, so who cares what those folks think? And I, I feel like that's a that's a dangerous uh, way to approach things because we're all on this planet together and it does matter uh, what people think about you. I'd say it's even more than that. It's more than just it does matter what people think about you. It matters what you think about yourself. And the real danger is when you start thinking about yourself, yeah, we're a country where we we cruelly intentionally separate children and parents in order to, I think this is an important, you know, inflection point, in order to deter further immigration, we're willing to inflict pain, not knowing that it's necessary because we need to separate the, the kids and the families for X or Y reason. 
But in order to deter, we don't care about the pain. We're going to do it 100% of the time. That'll teach them. You know, that is how you view yourself. And I think, thankfully, most of the country was not comfortable with that. So, right. Uh, but the troubling fact is is the percentage that seemed to be okay with it. That's the troubling part. Thankfully, the majority. Well, what is that percentage, but, Tom? I mean, who knows? We don't uh, you, know. There, there's yeah. all different polling uh, numbers out there, but they they range around twenty to thirty percent. And I think most of these people have supported because, as you said, this is Trump's policy, and they're behind Trump, so. They, they kind of don't really think about it too much, I don't think. But anyway, you know, it's, it's not like we're perfect here in Europe. I mean, there have been stories coming up about uh, child separation happening in France and increasing because we're getting tougher on immigration. Uh, I would like to think that in those cases, it wasn't a zero tolerance and F you, we're going to do it no matter, you know, we don't care. It was because it was necessary because of the circumstances, but it's certainly, just, yeah, go ahead. Can I just say, um, yeah, um, I've been hearing a bit about that too. And I think it's really important that Europe and America, I, you guys are moving that way. It, that's obvious, right? Um, it used to be when I was working like a few, uh, a while back and it, it was, we always had it, this in our head that the gold standard that even though we uh, live in a completely different regiment from you guys, right? And we don't really believe in democracy at all. But we always held uh, ourselves to, that is where we want to be. We want to show that we, even though we are a monarchy, we can be as compassionate as people in the West are. But if you guys are going down the standard, then, you know, we, we don't have anything to live up to. I mean, it's like, well, we're just good as, as good as them. So we don't really need to improve. Mm. We don't really need to go towards that direction anymore. And that kind of, oh, that worries me. I mean, I think it worries everyone. On the other hand, I think many people in in the West would say, as Trump supporters would say, well, you know, we're not the buffet table for the world, which I understand can be argued against, but it's the same in, in France uh, and in the EU. You know, m migration and migrants are a very serious problem. And yes, it's easy to say, oh, but we have a lot of, uh, you know, we have a lot of means and we could spare some for them. And just it's, it's true, on the other hand, that this is not a, a long term solution. And as difficult it might be to take these measures, you know, there, there's I mean, there would be room and, and food for everyone if the the. Uh, civilized, well, the Western world was willing to cut it, its, its uh, let's say to simplify things, to cut its income by, you know, three, a factor of three or whatever, like a, a third or, but that's not how it works, but I, that's how it feels. And if you let a lot of people in, obviously there's, you, you have unemployment issues and a number of issues and cultural issues, many, many uh, uh very serious problems, which are sometimes imagined, sometimes real, but that affect the entire continent, the entire union. Um, and that has been a, a, a problem in France, in Germany, when Merkel said that she was going to be compassionate and welcome many, many migrants uh, in, in Germany. Now she's seeing the blowback on this and we're having a lot, you know, the movement that got Trump in uh, the... 
president's seat is happening maybe a little bit more modestly in every country in Europe. There is really, uh, today's situation is the, the, the combat, the fight is between, uh, I, I would say, unionists or open people. And I don't mean that as a uh, positive uh characterization i really try to use it as a neutral saying yeah come in and let's work together and let's work with other countries and let's be open and more nationalistic sometimes populist movements who want to uh recede from the union and and close their their borders and things like that and this is a, a it isn't going away it hasn't gone away and it's a serious problem that every leader in uh the EU has to contend with, including President Macron and uh, Chancellor Merkel, who are trying to put together a uh, proposal to strengthen the union. Um, and and that has that has been a, my basically it's my topic uh, as a whole. Um, they are trying to hold it together, and I don't know if it's going to work. Not sure. Um, Patrick, Patrick, that was an interesting exposition. Can I come back on a couple of points on oh, this? Oh, please do, please do. Okay. Um, first please of all, challenge I think my opinions. With I, you. Will, I will do that, absolutely. <laughs> first of all, I think that one of the most important things here is that the story that a country tells itself is important. And that's why I think it's particularly toxic for whatever Trump supporters, to the extent that they do, whatever Trump supporters say, we don't care what somebody thinks about us. Everybody cares what people think about them because it forms part of what they think about themselves. And if you look back to the foundation of the United States, you see um, the constitutional uh, constitutional principles that have spread around the world and half the world is is ruled by a largely democratic government or other at the moment. And the United States talked about uh, freedom of expression and uh, various other liberties. But if you look at the time that that happened, they had slavery, they had other countless human rights uh, infringements, particularly against Native Americans. But the fact that they were telling themselves a story that at the time wasn't true made it become ever more true. And Mm. that's very important. And the fact that you have somebody coming in uh, saying, we don't care about our reputation. We don't care about what anybody else thinks about us. And we don't care essentially about anything other than uh, achieving our very short-term goal. That is destructive of the nation. To be frank, but it doesn't make I it don't untrue. care what I say it, again. It, it doesn't make it untrue. I think they don't care. I think they, they it, just don't. It may well be, but that is a nihilistic position. And, it, and this way le- leads to chaos. I there agree. Is no, and that's why I'm... No, uh, in, I, in there, you know, there's nothing positive in that direction. Uh, but also, your characterization of uh, immigration, there are a whole range of issues there. And the first thing I would say is that whether if you're dealing, for example, with the war in Syria, it is blindingly obvious that 
whatever the solution is to the humanitarian crisis in, in Syria, it's not evacuating the entire population of Syria into uh, Europe or any other third country. The solution to the war in Syria lies right. in Syria. But there are complex things that happen with discussions over immigration that often have very, very little and sometimes nothing at all to do with immigration itself. And that's what I think was going on here uh, this week with the uh, with the child separation debacle, as you correctly called it. I think that the uh, Corey Lindowskis and the, the Stephen Millers and Donald Trump truly didn't care about that. They didn't care one way or the other because what they were doing was signaling to their base. And that was essentially what they what they wanted to do. They wanted to send a signal. And I think they grossly miscalculated that signal. I think that their base will not have appreciated that. And it will have weakened them amongst uh, swing voters, for example. Yeah. Um, but the... the I mean, this is where, for example, lying is absolutely corrosive. All politicians can be mendacious from time to time. But in fact, Trump aside, typically politicians make go to extraordinary lengths not to actually tell a lie. And they do that for a reason, because they know how politically important it is. So the fact that we now have a politician who is happy to lie and lie profusely and lie getting caught all the time and not care, that is a very bad signal. Well, I think uh, most people would wait, agree. Wait, wait. I, I'm just not sure the his follow, followers would agree. Uh, yeah, Shah, go ahead. Wait, wait Trump lies? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's his opponent's fault when he lies. Yes. yes. It's all fake news, uh, really. So, getting back to Europe, um, I mean that I pretty much covered it. But I'm I'm curious if you guys heard about it in the U.S. or in Brunei. Um, our own um, struggles with immigration, and even more importantly, how it affects uh, the union and the different countries where populism is rising uh, without stop. It seems. Yeah, I did uh, follow the the Italian situation where um, uh, Prime Minister Rivera uh, or is a Rivera in Spain, uh, who had just taken over from Rajoy, uh, stepped forward and and resolved the situation for the moment. Uh, but obviously, Italy is is going to be thorny to deal with for a while. And I look at Europe and and I realize Europe has a real migrant crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, because of Syria, because of Libya, in a way that the U.S. doesn't. Uh, the United States has a little bit of, of a halo effect from those situations, uh, but largely Im illegal immigration or unauthorized immigration to the U.S. has been falling. Uh, it started to rise a little bit again in 2015 and 2016, but mostly from Asia, not necessarily too much from sub-Saharan Africa or the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, in fact, according to the Pew Center, 1992, uh, it was 3% from Middle East, North Africa and 6% in 2012. So it's a rise, but it's not a huge rise. Whereas in Europe, I mean, the, the direct cause of the unease uh, and the direct ability for, for movements like Five Star to take advantage of that unease is those, those crises. crises. 
Christ. I disagree. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, William. Um, I think, well, I used to live in Italy a long time ago, but I live there. Um, the Five Star Movement, the genesis of that movement has little or nothing to do with immigration. The genesis of the Five Star Movement is the, I would say, endemic Corruption is the wrong word, but this scleroticism in the Italian economy, whereby uh, inefficiency is so deeply built into the system and reform is so difficult to bring in because of the vested interests that benefit from every uh, everything. So, And I remember uh, when I was there to pay your electricity bill, you had to go to the uh, post office with notes of cash. And this was one of the ways of subsidizing the, the, uh, uh, the post offices in Italy, that they did this business. Um, the Italian economy is really the sick man of Europe in in terms of the G7 economies, it has there are some dynamic areas of the economy, but they are being brought down by very expensive and very low quality uh, government uh, services. Also within the private sector, there are some areas that have very poor levels of competition, which means that you get bad service. And but, but I think anyone this is... who doesn't have connections in Italy. You have a lot of intelligent, well-educated people who don't have connections, who can't get any job. Mm. And but by the way, that, it's Pe Pedro Sanchez is the prime minister. I was confusing him with Rivera from Ciudadanos. So I mm. just want to correct that. Um, I think what you're describing, William, is the actual cause for these movements. And it would probably be uh, similar in other countries. But the catalyst is and has always been you know, I was talking about openness and closeness, it's always been fear or anger at uh, the, the foreigners. And this is, there is now a real uh, scarecrow to, you know, jiggle in front of your, of your uh, troops, which is that crisis from the Middle East. So I think both are equally true. But um, uh, let's move on to Brene. Um, yeah. So, Sorry, I was just... <laughs> what? No oh, worries. Okay. <laughs> uh, if there's anything you want to add to that, you know, second migrants uh, crisis issue affecting Europe, please do. And then let us know about what's been happening in your neck of the woods. Uh, well, not really. Like, I, I think uh, in Europe, it's a different class of... Uh, it's a little bit different from America in that the immigrants coming in are mostly mo seem to be Muslim. And they're stick out a little lot more than maybe Latinos in America because culturally, even though Americans think that um, Latinos and whites don't really have that much in common, but like from the outside, when I look in, it's to me, there are more similarities than there are differences, whereas there's a clear alien factor in having somebody from another civilization coming into your country. Well, that's and, interesting. So you, when you look at it, because you are maybe... Civil civilizationally so different from the, the western <laughs> countries you're thinking well you know mexicans and americans they're kind of the same ah, they're, they're the same they're all yeah. paler you know <laughs> that kind of thing <laughs> I see. but um yeah when i was in when i went to the uk i myself found myself fitting in quite well 
but that's because when I just got independence from the UK in 1984, mm. and my teachers were mostly English still, hangovers, and then they were. I found myself fitting in quite well. I could speak English quite well and all that, and I wasn't a really good Muslim, so I didn't <laughs> pray in front of anyone. <laughs> you know, so people were, yeah, oh, sure. You know, it's one of us. Yeah. And also, I was in Ireland as opposed to England. And I think Irish people are a lot more welcoming than the English. I have just done that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you're gonna. You're you're. Uh, the English are very self-loathing. I'm sure they're <laughs> as well. They do. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell us about maybe we can talk about your situation. That that could be interesting. Oh, yeah. We didn't we didn't really talk about it, but you are in a kind of a difficult situation. We're joking around, but uh, things aren't super. Uh, cool oh, for you right now. Not great. You know, um, last year I made a post on Facebook and it landed me in a little bit of legal trouble in which I would got charged with sedition. Um, it was a post about um, I was critical of the new halal licensing. So in that all new businesses in Brunei uh, asked to do to have a new halal license and with his own sets of um, regulations and stuff. And I think I, I, I talked to you privately about this, uh, Patrick, mm -hmm. and I wasn't really in my right frame, frame of mind at that point. Um, it, it, um, two years leading up to that point, I was on a downward slide anyway. Um, and I've had a history of mental health issues. Not that that's in my responsibility or anything, but like um, I just wanted people to understand that that wasn't really the normal Thing I would do. Is uh, it so? What did you do? Like, how how critical was this Facebook post? Oh, it's very critical. <laughs> <laughs> basically, basically, it was well. If you took away the f bombs and uh, obvious insults, I it was actually quite a re well. Aside from that, it's quite reasonable critic of the law itself. Um. And I didn't mean to put it on to private, uh, to, to public. I meant to put it on to only people who follow me could see it, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know what happened there. But then again, uh, I went to sleep on Sunday. When I woke up on Monday, it was viral. And I was shocked and I deleted it and everything. Mm. Um, I thought it was the way that I said it. Because people have said things like this before in a very nice way and all that. I think it's the way that I said it was very explosive. That's why it was shared so quickly in such a short uh, bit of time. Also, my position as a government officer, you'd rarely get government officers exploding like that, you know, and hmm. for good reason. Um, so then, the post goes viral. Um, you're basically criticizing a new law that's coming in with a lot of... Uh, cursing, um, mm. the someone in the government sees it. What do they charge you with, and what is the uh, the the penalty you 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 can incur? I thought well, um, when I went to the, uh, when the police called me and took my statement, and I went to court. All so that time, wait a I second, I, just hmm? so people understand. Uh, I think it's really interesting to see how things happen uh, over there. When did the police... So you thought, oh, crap, my thing's gone viral, I delete it. Um, were you afraid that it would land you into trouble at that point? I thought it would be lending me in trouble at work. 
Mm. I didn't think it would go that far. Okay. At first. So it, yeah. So when do the do the police call you? It was the day after. Um, oh. I went to work on Monday, and um, uh, um, when I went into work, I was called into a disciplinary hearing, and I thought that was the end of it. And then I got a call from the police that afternoon asking me to show up at the police station the next day. So the next day, I was my and a few days later, I was taken to court to be formally charged. And during this time, I thought, before I got to court, my understanding was I was going to be charged with defamation. When I got to court, it turned out to be sedition, which... And that's why I, if it was defama- defamation, I might have, if it was defamation, it's not that I might have, if it was defamation, I would have said to, the, I would have pleaded guilty because obviously my post was defaming. But when it was sedition, I went, okay, I, I don't think I was seditious at all. Mm. And that's why I'm challenging the, um, the, the, the charge. And just to say, the sedition charge is actually a, a directly comes from the old colonial days. When I say old, 50s, 60s, the British put in uh, the sedition charge as part of the, when they were losing the empire and there were lots of people calling for independence movement around the empire. That's when the sedition charge came in. And when these countries became independent, like Singapore, Malaysia, Africa, they left the sedition charge in their books. So that's what I'm being charged with. Mm. So basically, thanks the English um, the English, the British. I would say collectively. I would. Right. I wouldn't blame just the English this time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brits. Um, okay, so so uh, again, what are you risking now? How bad could it be? But um, it's not. If you hear about it, it's not. It might not be too bad because the maximum sentence is two years in prison. And uh, I think it's five thousand years. Uh, five thousand years. My God, no. Five thousand and uh, five thousand dollar fine, and five thousand Brunei dollars is roughly equivalent to the five thousand Australian dollars. That doesn't sound like much, but since this is such a small country, which is only five hundred thousand of us, and that would that already has an effect on my life. Um, I would never probably get a a job ever again. You know. Um, mm. It'll, I already get, like, you know, people, I really get the feeling that I'm being ostracized by the rest of society already. Um, there are a lot of people that don't talk to me anymore. And So how viral did it get? Like, did the whole country see it? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People I don't know about, like, you know, would come up to me and say, I saw your post, kind of thing. Mm. And okay. it was like, huh, how do you know how do I look like, you know? Mm. I was known before this thing came out because you know of my things that i did beforehand with the national health service and all that but now i'm really known kind of thing so mm. so yeah. you had a little bit of a public persona before and that yeah. kind of um so are there people who come to you and say you know Shh, but nope. great Okay. <laughs> everyone, everyone was negative about the post. Everybody was fairly negative. Even if you go on Reddit, anonymous uh, post, most of it negative, and I, I accept that. This is a, this is the country I chose. I could have chosen not to come back. You know, I did study in the, in the West. Um, I could have chosen not to. Um, somebody like me, who's 
probably not the kind of person who would be able to live in a country that uh, that is expects a lot more from its citizens. Probably shouldn't be here. And what, but, what do you mean by that? Well, I've always been different. You know, I've always mm. been, I've always been a little bit. Um, the way I thought was always a little bit different to everybody else. But then again, I get that in the West too. Like right. you know, when I say when I say things, people say, "Well, that's a bit crazy." But, but it, I, we like, would know, think but the, we would think that you would be it would be easier for you to live in the West, given that that you know frame of mind and difference. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Um, I miss home. <laughs> you know, right, right. I was yeah, away for nine years, like you know, and I missed home. And then when I came back, it, it was good, and I, I felt. I think I let it go to my head a little bit too much. I knew when I came in, I accepted the fact that I was supposed to control bits of myself, you know, and uh, failed on that part. So, like, so that's a, a a regular part of life in Brunei. You have to, I don't want to say be careful about what you say, but be considerate, maybe yes. about what, yes. how yeah, you that, act and how. Yeah, and then if I had worded my my word, it's a little bit. Easier. Uh, a little bit nicer. Well, not even a little bit. Uh, if I worded my words more carefully, if I search for a more appropriate forum to to talk about things, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be facing this this issue. Uh, mm. I don't take. Uh, I have to take responsibility for what I did. Like, like you know. Yeah. Um, I do. I, you know, without trying to to uh, question how you're approaching this issue, it it it's hard to separate. Um, because, okay, I'll say it like this. For yeah. someone in in the West, the way they would react to a, a, a charge like this on a Facebook post, however, uh, you know, how, however many curse words were included would be, oh, that's BS and, and, you know, I don't deserve this and blah, blah, blah. You know, freedom of speech, all of this. Um, yeah. It seems like... I don't know how how much of this is you know genuine, but it it sounds genuine. Like you're approaching it from a different uh, perspective. You chose to go back to Brunei, and it seems like you wanted to be there and to be uh, uh, an appropriate. I don't know if that's a good way of characterizing it. An appropriate member of society. Um, but yeah, um, I see what you mean. I see I see what you mean, but. Um Uh, the way I see it is, if I was in the West and I did this and this happened to me, I would react like somebody in the West would. Right. You know, uh, this, this, all, this has always been a thing for me. My granddad told me, like, you know, um, obey the sky you're under, something like that. Where it, directly, direct translation from Malay. Mm. I think it loses something in the translation. No, I, I think it works. Obey the sky no, you're it, under. It sounds It's, like the phrase when in Rome for us. Oh, basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. the Romans yeah, do. When yeah. in Rome. But I yeah, like yeah. obey the sky and, you're under more. Yeah, it's more poetic. It, which yeah, so, I think, you know, some of the people who are uh, defending the closed policies might say, well, obey the sky you're under, person who's trying to get under our sky. But anyway, sorry, keep going, Shao. <laughs> I forgot what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, um, I chose to be here. And uh, with that, I accepted responsibility for what I was going to do. And the reason why people might say that Oh, I'm saying this because I'm still in Brunei and uh, my case is next week, so I don't want to say anything and all that. Yes, that has a factor. I I am choosing my words very carefully because my case is ongoing. 
On the other hand, I do believe, and I still believe in the system that we have. And I don't believe that Brunei would ever become or should be a real democracy. I think we should stay here at the constitutional monarchy system and maybe tweak it a little bit here and a little bit there. Mm. Because the monarchy is Brunei and the Brunei isn't the monarchy. If we didn't have the monarchy, we would be part of Malaysia by now. And then that sense of identity would be lost. Mm. Do you know? So... It was the only reason Brunei exists is because the monarchy chose not to join, and that's the only reason for our prosperity. Because if we would join Malaysia, we'd be just we would have to live at Malaysia's standard of living and all that, and I would never so, have the opportunity. What's the standard of the living in What's the standard of living in in Brunei? It's quite high. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'd say it's European standards. Okay. Um, I would say that, uh, well, yeah, European standards, um, even though our GDP per capita is not as high as those in Europe, because we're much closer to Asia and all our products come from the rest of Asia, it's much easier and cheaper here. Okay. So okay. it's a combination of oil and being close to Asia. I see. I see. Um, all right. I think we're running a little bit long. So if it's okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th this, this will be our, uh, our Brunei story. Um, oh no! Oh, you wanted, nice okay. Story. Go ahead, and, and then we'll go to William. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'll take a few minutes. So, like, um, the biggest thing that about Brunei in the last month is the Eid celebration. Right. Yeah. So that's the end of Ramadan, end of the fasting month, and I, I, I don't know if you know, but in order, the the month of Ramadan is a little different for Muslims. At the beginning of Ramadan, you are supposed to look for. Uh, do a sighting for the, for the new moon. And if you don't see it, then the next day is not the first day of Ramadan, it's the day after. Okay. And that's the same thing for the end of Ramadan. So for the past four or five years, it's always been that we did not see the new moon for the sighting. So everybody was expecting, all right, you know, we have an extra day, just like last year, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And then suddenly, 7.30 at night, just everybody, it was announced, the new moon was sighted and everybody panicked because they didn't, like, you know, just imagine like Christmas coming a day earlier and you don't have any of your presents, <laughs> like, you know. And I couldn't get to the, my shop, the shop is just five minutes from my house, right? There was a huge traffic jam. Like, you know, I could, it was easier for me to just walk to the shop. It was just <laughs> madness, <laughs> total madness. But well, that's it. <laughs> okay, no, that's a funny one. That's a funny one. And, and I think it, it explains very well that you should be prepared and not necessarily expect things like that. But um, exactly, exactly. Why? Why but, wouldn't know. people? Why would people expect it to be a day late because it was late last year? Like the it's moon. always been like that, though. It's yeah, always but, been like that. You know, <laughs> I right. kind of expected as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you didn't prepare because, either. So okay, you're not throwing the first no, stone. No, I didn't prepare either. I, everything was horrible. It was a horrible Eid for me because I, I was not prepared. My clothes were horrible. I didn't get anything. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, it was the Eid <laughs> moon sighting, not the Ramadan moon sighting. Okay. Yeah, it's the Eid uh, moon sighting. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's bring us home, William. What has been happening? So I think you're going to be talking about... Uh, about Ireland, not Germany. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And perhaps not even oh. about Ireland, more about uh, about the UK and Brexit. 
Although there is a saying in Ireland, when when uh, England catches when England sneezes, Ireland catches a cold, and mm. uh, I think Ireland is in danger of getting a dose of Ebola or anthrax or something, given the, uh, <laughs> the given the health of the of the um, British body politic. I won't um, dwell on it long, but I would have to say I disagree with Shah. I think if you don't have democracy, you can avoid some problems, but only for a while. Um, and I don't even go into the reasons why Brexit was voted through in the referendum in the UK two years ago. Two years ago, let's not forget that. Um, but the real issue is that um, Theresa May very foolishly called an election, thought she would get a large majority. In fact, she lost her majority entirely. And very ironically, she is now dependent on a very small party from Northern Ireland, which is a fundamentalist Christian party, um, mm, yes. for, for her majority. They have 10 seats, uh, which is Yeah, we, we talked vast, about this uh, yeah, a few weeks this ago. Yeah, vastly yeah. more than their amount of votes would justify. But there are uh, reasons to do with the fact that Britain is not a very democratic country that they do have 10 seats they would their vote would perhaps justify one seat in the in in the parliament but they have 10 that that puts Theresa May over the line which makes her prime minister it also puts her over a barrel because her 316 i think MPs are nothing compared to the trump card that the uh, that the dup have um and tom might be familiar with the way that americans people in the us view the deep south as being a uh, perhaps slightly reactionary but certainly very religious area and we view the places in in northern ireland as the deep north of uh, can i say <laughs> can, sure can i say can i say just as i was part of northern ireland for 9 years oh. we know Um, It is slightly delicious to have British people saying, what the hell are these people you're sending us over? Uh, And the the, the same party that they've been urging people in Northern Ireland to work with for the last 20 years. Um, And I I, I spoke to one uh, British friend who, with, with a look of shock, on his face said, and I've heard that some of these people don't even believe in evolution. And I was able to tell them, none of them believe in evolution. <laughs> none of them. They, 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 this is the area where the, the local councils, the local authorities, where this party controls, they hire somebody to go around on Saturday night with bicycle locks to lock down the swings and the seesaws in the uh, playgrounds in the children's playgrounds and only unlock them on Monday morning in case anybody would break the Sabbath by uh, having their child swing on a swing in a playground. Um, Wait, is that, uh, Sha, you you lived there for a little bit. Is that your experience of the place? It would seem like you were, you would disagree. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree. That is okay. quite a lot of. That is quite a lot of Belfast. Uh, well, West Belfast, the Boucher Road, bits of Belfast. Um, did you? It, because the Catholic bits tend to not be like that. They tend to be a little bit more mm, socialist-minded because of the politics they hold and, and, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And I rarely strayed out of the university area in South Belfast. Um, ah, you stayed in an elitist yes, uh, intellectual yes, stronghold. Yes, so, yes, okay. yes. This absolutely does not describe the whole of Northern Ireland, <laughs> um, but there are certainly some so, some areas like that. 
and uh, the the strange uh, electoral system that the UK have it does this. There is a, Theresa May has a second difficulty because one faction of her cabinet, so all of her ministers, even though she relies on these ten DUP MPs, all of her ministers are from the Conservative Party. Some of them are hardline what are called Brexiteers, that's to say hardline anti-European want to have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, the EU. And others of them are not insane. And they cannot (laughs) agree amongst themselves. So two years ago, the British voted for Brexit. We are now in June. By October, that's to say three or four months away, they will need to have signed off on a deal with the EU on exactly how they arrange their departure from the EU. They have not yet agreed amongst themselves what deal they're looking for. And in Ireland, we've had various politicians. One of them is uh, Phil Hogan. He's the Ireland's European commissioner. So he's he's, he's uh, part of the EU government, essentially nominated by Ireland. Another is the Taunisha, the the Deputy Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister, a guy called Simon Coveney. And both of them have been speaking in the past couple of days. And they've been speaking very diplomatically. They haven't used any strong words, certainly not so sort of language perhaps that Shah would have used in his uh, tweet. They've been speaking (laughs) in very measured tones. So more like Tom, basically, a little bit more. Yes, yes, yes. But the, the message is unmistakable. It is that these people are impossible to deal with. They can't even decide on what they want, let alone uh, uh, let alone what they are willing to negotiate. And I think, it, and to touch briefly on on the vote on Brexit, uh, Ireland uh, in Ireland we have referendums very very regularly. Uh, there was one just a few weeks ago. Uh, and I think on average, maybe there will be one or two referendums every year. Some of them are high profile. Some of them are, you know, people are not so interested in. They kind of go through on the knot. But Ireland has a very high level of, shall I say, um, uh, civil experience with running mm. referendums. There has only previously been one referendum in Britain which was 40 years ago, which was for Britain joining the EU. That's the only other. So basically anybody voting in the Brexit referendum, only a tiny minority of them were were alive and of age to vote in the previous one referendum that had happened in the UK. But so what's and, happening if they don't get their act together by October? I mean, no, because I don't think no. the, the EU is going to be very keen on saying, oh, we can do it later. I think they're, they're, <laughs> they want to send a message and, and say, well, tough shit. You're out. I, I think that's actually a mistake, Patrick. And I think really? that the, yeah, I think that the, um, the, that narrative that of what the that the EU want to punish Britain or the EU want to send them uh, you know send a message or the EU want to um, want to make sure that nobody else follows Britain I think that's a mistake and that's one of the mistakes that the British are making what the EU is essentially run by Germans and they are highly process driven there's a set of rules it's written down and come hell or high water they follow that set of rules sometimes even to its irrational end mm. and Every time the British come back with some sort of crazy uh, new set of uh, half proposals, the, the the they say that's not what's available within the rules. But to to answer your question directly, Patrick, um, 
there is a potential for very, very serious problems. So one thing that could happen, if they don't get a deal, it is possible if all 27 other EU countries unanimously agree, it is possible to have um, to prolong the process, to keep Britain in the EU or to keep Britain perhaps partially in the EU while they negotiate further. So that's possible. But the one thing about that is that it requires all 27 other governments to agree unanimously. And there is endless scope for one or other country to see an advantage in of course yeah in in, in, in delaying yes. on that or just drumming their fingers and says well we'll agree to that if we get what we want and of course if one if, if one country does that then the temptation is for many others to do that but let me just give you a couple of a, a couple of uh, um, difficulties that could arise so the phrase is crashing out if the eu just if Britain, if the uk just crashes out of the eu on the 29th of march next and very appropriately people wake up on monday morning the 1st of april they will discover that there's that uh, every airline in the world that flies international flights needs to follow an agreement between the two countries that they're flying to and from. And way back in the bad old days, right? Uh, if you want to fly from uh, have flights from France to the United States, then France and the United States had to agree a treaty between them. If you wanted to fly from Belgium uh, to the United States, then the, you had to have a treaty between Belgium and the United States. The EU scrapped all of that and they created what's called open skies and they essentially made the whole of the EU one domestic country. So any airline can fly from anywhere in Europe to anywhere. And it's not like the if, UK couldn't do it, but they haven't. And they, they don't, they don't yeah. have that agreement. They could, on the 1st of April next year, start negotiating with all 27 different EU countries to create a deal to fly between those countries. But again, each of those countries might not be as highly motivated to add one country to their list as the UK would be and would, could be expected to start looking for, looking for concessions. Mm, of um, course. Another another issue is what happens. Do you check things? Do you uh, um, what happens at the border? And there is one iconic factory in Sunderland in the UK. So the British motor industry in the seventies, eighties, nineties really declined enormously to the point that the most iconic car ever produced in Britain, the Mini, if you've ever seen Mr Bean, that brand <laughs> was bought by BMW. And now Mini is a German car made in Germany by a German car company. But that's um, why the Brexiters want to Brexit, to make the UK great again. Well, well, that's, that's, <laughs> well that's what you think. But for example, the, that Nissan car company, which makes a large portion of uh, the cars sold in Britain and exports quite a lot to the UK, they import 200,000 components for every hour they operate. If they're then told that they have to get customs clearance for each one of those, <laughs> the potential for chaos there, and to put it bluntly, many thousands of people in an area that voted very strongly for Brexit losing their jobs is obvious. But there, you know, you're is... operating under, I mean, now your guiding principle is logic. And I think if the past mm -hmm. two years have taught us anything, it's that logic does nothing for the people who are angry. Um, yes. 
So, I mean, we can we can list all of the very real issues all of this will create. I don't mm -hmm. think it would make those people move an inch. And that's the no. tragedy of it all. But, no, uh, I'll tell you what will make them move. Hunger. <laughs> and and I'm and that's literally true. I just spoke to I interviewed uh, I haven't put it up yet for my own Irish podcast um, uh, a Cambridge professor who was one of the very few academics who was pro Brexit and I sought him out because he is pro Brexit uh, and uh, he said first of all that um, the food industry in the UK would be likely to be decimated but that doesn't really matter because we won't be able to get European workers. Polish and Romanian people to pick uh, various and collect various foods in the f fields of Britain. So probably what will happen is those uh, those crops will be grown in Poland and imported. And that seems to me, in just in terms of uh, food security, not a very uh, not a very sensible way to go about things. But one of the well, things I think it's a good they... illustration of the fact that the people who come here wherever here is, usually don't take your job. They take the job that you yes. don't want to do, right? I mean, yes, it's, a, yes. it's a very common thing to say, but yeah. Yeah, yeah that's um, true. But the, we the, do have the, to wind things down, if William. To, but, if I were to just finish the point, yeah. Patrick, very, very quickly, that the advantage that the Brexiteers have been selling on this is that they will then be able to strike free trade agreements, which as a member of the EU, they're not allowed to do. They'll be able to strike free trade agreements with the rest of the world. And that's true under the WTO. But one of the issues there is to sell, and you can use the example then of cars that are made in Britain. One of the issues is you can't just create a screwdriver plant. That's to say, buy all your components from China, minimally assemble them, and then sell them in, in a free trade zone. Because these international agreements require typically that a minimum of 50% of your components come from the country where you're dis where you are declaring your your product to come from right currently there is not even one british car manufacturer that has so much as 25% of their components coming from their own country so they're buying in their the large majority of their components so not only would they not be able to produce cars potentially or not be able to produce them very easily for their home market, they wouldn't be able to export them as, as British either. And the, the uh, I really get the sense we are going full speed in a juggernaut towards a cliff. And I feel like Wiley e. Coyote, we're going to be like still running for that couple of seconds after we go over the cliff. But once those hit, that seems to be a lot of problems being stored up. And that's why you're in Germany now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you need to I'm run away my with Irish it. passport. Right, right. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. No? Oh, it wasn't me, no. Oh, it wasn't you. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Brexit, um, October, that's going to come. I can't believe it's been almost two years already. Uh, it's been more than two years. Yeah. More. My, my only worry about that is, like, um, the border coming back between Northern Ireland and Ireland, because mm -hmm. we used to nip over the border watch a movie in the back like you know the border didn't exist right, for, right. for us we just drove on through and then now there'll be a hard border between there might be a hard border between ireland and northern ireland and i can't imagine northern ireland having a hard border with the down south like you know it's well that that seems to be causing no end of trouble for for theresa may is she wants to continue to honor that 
porous border, but also have a hard border with Europe. And hey, those are the same thing. It's very it difficult is Schrodinger's border. They want it to yeah. exist and not exist at the same <laughs> right, time. Right. <laughs> you know, I still, th those issues are so profound and so deep and so have so uh, uh, momentous consequences that I still, in a corner of my mind, I think it's not going to happen somehow. There's going to be something, you know, either some, again, with superheroes that comes down and saves everything, like... Tony Blair in a cape. I, I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, something like that. Um, or, I don't know, I mean, I, I, like the, the animated corpse of Winston Churchill comes back and, and <laughs> strikes a deal. Or Zombie Churchill. Zombie Churchill do, is going to say... I do really like that. Okay. I do like that. Zombie Churchill sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, you know, the, the, the queen takes a sword and, and strikes down the evildoers, or I don't know. Um, but yeah, Violence. I guess we'll see. Wow. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, I, I frame my understanding of political issues in uh, action movie terms. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's going to be it for our episode today. Thank you very much to all three of you for joining me. It was super interesting. Um, Tom, why don't you tell people where they can get more of Tom if they so wish? Sure. Uh, Patrick is part of the crew that helps me to do the Daily Tech News show, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a daily show where we go through the tech news of the day. You can find that at dailytechnewsshow.com. And I do several other podcasts about TV and movies and geeky topics. Uh, and I even write some novels. And you can find information about all of that at tommerritt.com. Fantastic. Shah, what about you? If they want you know, to follow you on Facebook, because maybe you have some uh interesting views on things for example <laughs> i deleted all that I, uh, okay. I only have my my twitter what is my twitter oh uh, your, your my twitter twi is shasplains yeah shasplain s-h-a-h-p-l-a-i-n-s i was planning to do like um uh, uh like you know shasplain videos like i would explain things happening in brunei and regionally and around the world and stuff like that um it's the same thing on youtube Shasplains, and you can reach me over there. And then hopefully, after this all blows over with my case in either two years or maybe next month, um, <laughs> I'll be doing that as the uh, as a pathway to a new career. I hope. Excellent. <laughs> um, well, I mean, good luck with your case. Please do let us know how it goes. Um, I'm crossing all the much. fingers I have. Uh, Thank you very much, William. What about yourself? Yes. Oh, very simply, challengingopinions.com. Do you have a Twitter account? I do. It's just at ChallengingO. I'm not terribly active on Twitter. Uh, I do announce the shows and so forth. Um, but you can subscribe uh, uh, on the challengingopinions.com website. Fantastic. Thank you very much uh, to all three of you. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also find this show at uh, frenchspin.com. If you want to comment, let us know what you think about any of the topics we discussed. Um, and if you want to support the show, you can do so financially at Patreon at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The show is entirely supported by its patrons. So if they didn't exist, you wouldn't get it. 
It's as simple as that. If you think the show is interesting, brings you something, a good time, an interesting time, a uh, 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 <laughs> challenging time, <laughs> please do consider becoming a patron as well. You know the system for Patreon. You just decide how much you want to give per episode and then you you get charged every month and you can stop anytime you want. So if you enjoy the show, please do consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Club. Thank you very much to those who already do. You are the light of my life. Well, I mean, a little bit dimmer than my wife and child, but still a part of the lights of my life. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I'm actually going to go see how the little one is doing because it seems he's very unhappy with his current condition. So I'll go do that and we'll talk to you again in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. He wants to watch France, Peru. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mention the World Cup. I don't, you know, I don't even know what's happening there. I do not follow that at all. I ha I have no idea what's happening. I can hear my uh, my family uh, watching it right now. Like I, I, I have other things to think about. Yeah, I'm missing right. that gene. I have to say. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what you're Irish and you I don't like watch I like that <laughs> yeah, the U.S. True. person is the only one who knows what's going on in the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>